I'm really excited and honored to be here, especially because it's the last midweek. Oh my gosh, but it's not really. So I'm excited. I'm privileged. I'm honored that you're here to listen and um, really excited to give this word. I do want to just first say that like I've been doing a series on Revelation and we're on the last church, Laodicea. It's not really a message that you just want to dump on somebody, because <laughs> if you know Laodicea, they don't have the best reputation. Um, and I believe that tonight I'm actually talking to the remnant. I feel like you are the remnant. You're here on a midweek. You're desiring more. And so I'm just going to believe Holy Spirit that he's in control and that he's going he's gonna to do what he wants. Amen? So we'll start here in a second. How many of you have gone to my mom's Bible study on a Saturday? Anybody go this past couple? Oh, thank you, Dan. These past couple weeks? Okay, well, I'm supposed to let you know that men are invited this Saturday. This Saturday is the last day. Um, my dad will be there with her. So if you're interested in going, please show up. It's at our Avon Lake campus at 9 o'clock. Um, and it's really, really good. So can we pray? Father, thank you for the opportunity to just share your word. God, your word is spirit and it's life to our bones, Father. And I just thank you that it's such a foundation and we can trust your word. In a world that's shaking, God, we are on solid ground when we meditate and we, we build our life on the word of God. So I pray that tonight. Father, as we open our ears, as we open our eyes and our hearts to hear what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the seven churches of Revelation, and it's basically in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and it's taken me about six months to get through these. Right, but I don't preach every Sunday. So um, it's not like I do this every week. But this last message, Laodicea, had to be two parts because it's so packed full of truth, and I'm giving you part B. So if you've heard it before, I apologize. Maybe the, I'm sure the Lord is going is to speak to you again because I went through it today, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's so good. Thank you for, for new revelation. Um, but when we think about the seven churches, the seven churches were in seven different cities, and I think you have a map there. Okay, so let me explain this is my title screen, the next one. This is actually, yeah, this one. This is actually the cave of the apocalypse, and it's on the island of Patmos. And that is supposedly where John got his revelation. Now, he was exiled to this island because they tried to kill him, and it didn't work. So they said, you know what, just get him on this island, get him away from people so he can't spread the gospel. So that's what this picture is. But the next picture should be a map of the seven churches. So you see Patmos there in the beginning on the island. Then you see Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So we are at the end. It was kind of like called the Romans Road. And so it was the major highway and um, where they would go to spread the gospel. And so the church of Laodicea was built there in Laodicea. And if you look at the Greek word Laodicea or Laodikis in the Greek, Laos means people, and diki means their right or their justice. So if you think about a Laodicean mindset, you could say that they are a people who rule and judge for themselves. 
They are very self-sufficient, self-reliant people. And again, remember, this is not just the last church in the book of Revelation, but it is the last church in the last days. Okay, so there's a dual prophetic thing happening here, okay? So we can look at the church of Laodicea and claim that we are the remnant, but at the same time, we better be really open to let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, right? Because we believe we're in the last days, like the last of the last, right? <laughs> That's what I believe. Um, and so, so when we think about these characteristics of Laodiceans, we want to be open so that the Holy Spirit can convict our heart. So in the beginning of the, um, the first part, we learned, and all of you have heard, that Laodicea was neither hot nor cold, but they were lukewarm. And, and Jesus said, you know what? That just makes me nauseous. It just makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. It's just not going to work for me. And we talked last, last time in the first message, we talked about what that looked like and how Jesus wanted them to correct. And we're going to review that verse because the thing was, is that it wasn't that they lost their salvation by being lukewarm. It was that Jesus was saying, you have no clue. You think you're hot. You think you're on fire. You think you're cold. You think you're refreshing. You think you're bringing just a refreshment in life, but you're really lukewarm and you have no clue. Jesus, it, it was explaining that the church of Laodicea was, um, had low self-awareness. Anybody know of anybody that has a low self-awareness? Like they come into a room and they just take over and they're interrupting people and they're just bulldozing conversations and you're like, hmm, they have no clue, right? And that's what I believe Jesus is saying to them. So we're going to review Revelation 3.17. And Jesus is saying to them, he said, because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have no need of anything and you do not know that you are wretched, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So they have this mindset of not needing anything. And actually, history tells of when they had a big major earthquake, the Roman government offered to come in with finances and help them. And they're like, oh, no, we don't need your help. We can fix our city on our own, thank you very much. Right? So they just had this idea of not needing anything. And why? It's because they were uber rich. They were rich. They had a banking industry that gave mortgages and loan, business loans right, to all the around, surrounding cities. They had a garment industry. History says that there may have been this special wool that came from these black sheep that, that created this luxurious black robes that all over they would come to Laodicea to get this clothing and they would pay a lot of money for it. So their economy was booming from these industries. They also, remember these scripture verses before this, they also had this pharmaceutical industry that created this eye salve. And this eye salve that people would buy it and they'd put it on their eyes and they would heal all kind of ailments in their eyes, right? Do you remember the scripture verse? 
And so we see this, um, this, this city that was just on the cutting edge with money. They also had the very first running water. They had the very first running water. They had a water problem. So they went to Hierapolis, which is a city above them, and they, they tapped into the hot springs in Hierapolis, and they made these aqueducts, and they brought it all the way to Laodicea. And then they went to Colossae, and they built these aqueducts to tap into their cold springs because it was near the mountains, and they brought this water all the way to Laodicea. But can you guess what happened when the water reached the city? It became lukewarm. Isn't that interesting? And the clay pipes that it was in had seeped the minerals in it, and it was tepid. It was disgusting. And so when they finally got to drink this water that they had worked so hard on, they spit it out because it was so gross. So Jesus was speaking to them in a very, very personal way. These people had a problem, and it was that they were clueless, that they were depending on their own efforts and not on Jesus. One one commentator talked about how they were self-complacent. And if you think of the word self-complacent, it means, I'm doing okay, you know? I'm I'm good. I go to church on Sunday morning. I have my 20-minute devotional. I'm, I'm good. Jesus is happy with my spirituality. I'm good, right? And I'm not saying that that's not enough because only Holy Spirit can tell you what's enough, right? But, but Jesus is saying, why are you so self-complacent? He's saying in verse 18, I advise you to buy gold refined by the fire so that you may become rich. Buy it from me, Jesus is saying, Forget the banking industry. I have what you need, is what Jesus is saying. He said, buy rich white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. He said, and buy eye salve to apply to your eyes so that you may really see. So Jesus is saying, depend on me. Quit being so self-sufficient and self-reliant and self-complacent and low self-aware, right? He's saying, you've got to need me. So we're going to finish off this chapter and see the end of this chapter, the end of the message, which I think is the most important because this state of the church, they had an option. And I believe we're right on that cusp. Like we're right on that line of decision. And I'm not talking about just church on the North Coast. I'm talking about the whole church of the nations of the world. We are at a point of decision. Will we correct so that we are ready for the bridegroom? Right? He wants us ready. He's coming back for a spotless bride. And we have an opportunity right now to make the corrections that Jesus is saying to correct. So I've always had this fear that I was going to be in Laodicea to the point where Church of the North Coast has had so many love prophecies over our church. I'm like, yes, we're the Philadelphia church, right? Because if you know Philadelphia, Philadelphia is the church that loves. And you all love, let me tell you. I was going to try to get away with no water, but 
I'll end up choking. So, unfortunately, it's not the worst thing in the world to be a part of the last day's church. Because we can correct. We can stay out of denial and we can know that Jesus loves Laodicea. He's like a parent who will do anything, who will say the hard things to their children in order to bring order and discipline. Come on, moms and dads, can you relate to that? We know that we will do what's hard for our kids because we want them to correct. The scripture verse in Revelation 3.19, Jesus said, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Jesus is giving us an opportunity tonight, right now in this time, to repent because he's willing to rebuke us. He's willing to discipline us. That word rebuke is elegzo, and it means to convince with solid, compelling evidence, especially to expose or to prove wrong or to correct we need some correction sometimes, don't we? You know, this last Christmas, Adrian and I wanted to start a tradition, and we, took, we decided to take the kids to a Christmas train ride. You know, where you get on the train, and you go and you see Santa Claus and some of the other fun people. I think it was the Grinch, and they were terrified of the Grinch. But they had fun, right? And so we got this little boutique hotel, and it was one of those hotels that had a little pool in the middle. And... It was just the four of them. Jackson was still a little bit too young. And Adrian was up in the room getting ready, and all the kids got their bathing suit on really fast. And so I was going to be super Lala, and I was taking all four of them down to the pool. And so we're going walking down to the pool, and these four kids were so fast. They were ahead of me, and I couldn't get in control of them. And one by one, they just marched right down those little stairs into the shallow end, which wasn't so shallow. And one by one, boop, 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 all four of them went under the water, and I could not walk, I couldn't get in the water fast enough. And luckily, thank you, Lord, and why not luck, angels, right? There was another sweet lady in the pool already, and she was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, and I'm like trying to get in the pool, and I'm freaking out, and I was about in tears, and I said, okay, that's it. All four of you, get up there and sit down, and they all looked at me like, I've never heard Lala talk like that. <laughs> and they all got out of the pool and they sat down and I said, listen to me, that is so dangerous. You do not go in the pool until Lala's in the pool. Do you understand? And they're all looking at me. They're like, okay. I said, who goes in the pool first? Lala. I was like, wait a minute. I wanna make sure you get it. Who goes in the pool first? They said, Lala goes in the pool first. And we probably rehearsed that a hundred times, but they had never heard my rebuke mom voice, right? I mean, Dion knows it well. Dominic knows it well. But the babies have never even heard it. But now they know that I love them so much that if I have to rebuke them, they will hear my rebuke to save their life. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, I rebuke you because I love you. 
I love you, and I'm trying to save you, right? Even today, when I took them down to the water, they came over, Riley and Judah came over, and I said, who goes down to the lake first? Lala. <laughs> like, thank you. <laughs> so let's look at that verse again. It says, therefore, be zealous. And repent. So that word zealous comes from the root word zelo, and it means to bubble up because you're hot and boiling. Isn't that good? Jesus is saying, enough of the lukewarm. Let's be zealous. Be so obsessed with your love for me, right? To burn with zeal, to be deeply committed to something, to be earnest, to set one's heart on it, to be completely intent upon. Can we say that, our relation, that we're zealous for our relationship with Jesus? Can we say that every day? If we can't, we have to correct. We have to correct. Every day we have to be boiling hot. We cannot afford to be, uh, right? Uh, no. We, we correct our soul and we put our spirit in charge and we boil over for Jesus. He wants us to respond to his correction and love and feel it deep in our soul. He wants our desire to be for him and for his love towards us, and he wants us to repent. Repent is metanoa, metanoa, metanoe, I don't know. I never took Greek, I'm sorry. But it's changed after being with it's not just, I'm sorry. It's to change direction, to turn after you've been with. Been with who? Jesus. It's to change the way we do things, completely switch our perspective, our, our intention in life, right? It's to submit our mind to the truth, to receive his perspective. And it's ongoing work. It doesn't just happen one time. It happens over and over and over again. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, And we are taking every thought captive to the what? Obedience of Christ. That's what repentance looks like. It's like, no, I don't do things this way anymore. I don't think this way towards them anymore. I don't re react this way anymore. I submit this thought to the obedience of Christ. That's what repentance looks like. And for this church, repentance was not easy. Why? Because they hadn't been with Jesus. Think about that. They hadn't been with Jesus because they were busy doing life. They were busy doing business. They were busy doing success. I could even say they were busy doing ministry because I've done ministry before without Jesus. They didn't even realize he wasn't around. Remember? They were low self-aware. They had low self-awareness. They didn't even realize Jesus wasn't with them. So they needed an encounter with Jesus, and that's exactly what he wanted to give them. In Revelation 3.20, what does he say next? He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. This word knock actually means to 
beat the door, to strike, to knock with a heavy blow. When do you knock like this? When it's urgent. When you need to get in now, right? When do you yell at your grandbabies, <laughs> right? When you need them to get out of the pool and obey. Thank you. Jesus is saying, if anyone hears my voice, is anyone listening? Is anyone paying attention? Is anyone not sleeping? Are we willing to answer? Are we willing to open the door? Because he wants to dine with us. And he wants us to dine with him. He wants communion with us. Communion. That word in the verse is either supper or dinner. It depends on the translation you read, but that word is a big deal. It was a big deal culturally, and it was a big deal spiritually. Culturally, they didn't do fast food back then, right? The evening meal was about slowing down, about relationship, about conversation, about connection with family and friends, creating an atmosphere of learning, creating an atmosphere of worship. Every religious and political or social event centered around an evening meal. So contextually, John was writing to the churches that Jesus wants to be the center of your most important day. He wants to be the center of your most important relationships, your communication, all of it. He wants to be the big deal, <laughs> It was called the Dipnon, and it was a social institution. And it was similar across the regions and the ethnicities, whether you were Roman or Greek or pagan or Christian or Jewish, right? It was all the same. The evening meal was the institution. And Adrian spent a lot of time in the Middle East, and he said it's still like this. It's a time of connection, of conversation. So this is how it went. There was two well-defined courses, the first table and the symposium, the second table. The dinner at the first table started with an invocation of the house God or the, for the pagans or our prayer. Remember, we say, thank you, Jesus, for this food. Please bless it. Amen. Or however you do it as a family. But it's the, it's the, it begins with a prayer. It begins by inviting the Lord to come in and have supper with us. And then after the dinner, there's a break. New guests can arrive. The house gods and the, and the emperor, because they worshiped the emperors back then, are invoked again. They worship them again. And they had their symposium. They had their um, second table, which was, which was sweets like dessert. They also had bread. And they also had like... Um, spicy foods. That was a time for them to come together again. But then, after that, they were also toasting and giving libation or worship with their drinks to the house gods again, or to the pagan gods, or to Jesus, if they believed in Jesus. 
So they would pour out their libation and, and its sacrifice as people continued drinking, conversing, and entertaining. Or for the Christian, this is when church started. This is when they had worship, when they had teaching and singing together. They would prophesy to one another. They would speak in tongues to one another, and they would interpret. Jesus is requesting entrance into their gathering. He was obviously not involved anymore. If he had to knock, he was on the outside of the building. What? Right? Like, we need to think about that. Have we invited him in to our family, into what we're doing, into our purpose, into our goals, into what we're learning? Jesus wants to be with us. It gives us a picture to what he's referring to when he pounds on the door. Revelation 3.20, we're going to read it one more time and we don't, I won't scare you this time. Thank you, you did it great, Marcus. <laughs> Avon Lake about jumped out of their seat and ran out the door. So you guys did it well. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and he will dine with him and he with me. So now we're going to wrap up the promises to all the churches because it always ends with a promise. And it, this is a wonderful and extravagant promise. Jesus is now focused on the future and he turns their attention to the future. He said, listen, I know you're going to correct. I know you're going to let me in. Now let's, let me show you what happens next. And in Revelation 3.21, he says, To the one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. And there's always a remnant. He's talking to the remnant. He's talking to the church that is correcting these Laodiceans who've kept the fire of their own devotion amidst the tepid, lukewarm Christianity. Does that not sound like what we're living in right now? We are responsible to keep ourselves on fire among churches that are hanging rainbow banners. Right? We better keep ourselves on fire, focused, opening the door for Jesus and not breaking that communion. And this is his promise for those who will. He said, to the one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit on me, sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. But let's think about who he's talking to. Jesus is talking to John. And if you've read the gospels, you know that John was a very, very important person to Jesus. He was one of the three closest to him, possibly his best friend, right? Because John called himself the beloved. He basically said, I was his best friend. And John has this perspective of Jesus overcoming. Because when Jesus first said this to him, it was in the upper room. It was in the dinner, <laughs> the last supper, when Jesus was explaining in John 14, 15, and 16 what was about to happen, I'm going to be taken from you. I'm going to be killed, right? 
You're going you're gonna to be dispersed. You're going to be persecuted. All throughout those chapters, he's telling them what's going to happen, that you're going to deny me, right? That I'm going to be betrayed by one of our own. And so John has this perspective because the last time he heard Jesus say, I have overcome, it was in the midst of these circumstances. In John 16, it says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So John hears this again about overcoming, and we can see in his mind what he's remembering, right? As I also overcame. A commentary while I was studying said this so beautifully that I'm just going to read it to you. Jesus said, I overcame. But from the world's point of view, he was utterly beaten. He was misunderstood, rejected, lived a life of poverty, died when he was a young man, a violent death. He was hunted by all the church dignitaries of his generation as a blasphemer, spit upon by soldiers, and execrated after his death. And that is victory, is it? Well, then we shall have to revise our estimates of what is a conquering career. If he, the pauper martyr, if he, the misunderstood enthusiast, if he conquered then some of our notions of a victorious life are very far astray. Whoa. Does that not sum up our American church? Our notions of overcoming, we can correct. We can correct. In the midst of trials and tribulations, we can overcome because he did, right? We can overcome every trial, every tribulation the enemy tries to throw our way because we have Jesus. We have Jesus. <laughs> and he overcame. So what does that mean? That means that we are sitting on the right hand of the Father with Jesus. And that's just bigger than anything that we're dealing with here. Revelation 3.22, and I'm closing with this. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is saying, will you listen to what I'm saying? Will you pay attention to what I'm trying to do with my last day's church, with my bride, who will be so focused on heaven, who will be so focused on our love for Jesus, that we can stand and overcome any circumstance, good or bad, right? Because sometimes good circumstances take us away from our passion, right? It cools us off. It makes us lukewarm. Can we, good or bad, keep our focus, our ear 
on what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And I believe we can. I believe we can answer the door and invite Jesus in. I believe Laodicea did, and I believe his church will. We will choose Jesus. So a really quick history lesson before we end. What happened to Laodicea? Anybody want to know? We don't know a lot from history books, but we know a little bit. Church history records that the church in Laodicea remained a dynamic church after most churches in Asia disappeared. That's good news. That means that they corrected. It says one of the bishops was martyred for his faith in A.D. 161, and this was about 70 years after this letter was written. In 363, Laodicea was the location chosen for a significant church council. Those church councils were when they would come together and talk about heresy and how to correct and talk about how to apply the application of these words, this word in their lives. So there was some thriving there. So I believe they corrected. And we have a choice today to be zealous and to repent of our lukewarmness to answer the door and invite him into our lives. Would you stand up with me tonight? We're going to pray. And the way I handled this word, I, I don't want you to be condemned. That's not, that's not the heart of Jesus, is to feel condemnation because we've been set free. We've been redeemed. <laughs> We've been bought with a price, right? A high price. What we need to do is we need to humble ourselves before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and ask him to reveal any area of our life that he wants to make zealous again, that he wants to boil over in our hearts again. So I'm going to invite you to do that with me tonight. To invite him into your life because he's knocking. He doesn't stop. He won't stop knocking to get in. In 1 John 5, 4, it says, For whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. If everybody would just do me a favor and close your eyes. I'm going to ask a question. If you're in here tonight and you want to reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your King, as your Lord, as your Savior, I want to invite you to raise your hand tonight. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to pray together and we are going to believe we're going to believe that he's going to set us on fire. Amen. So passionate about our love for Jesus. Come on, let's pray. Everybody repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sins. I commit to live every day for you from now until eternity. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
and set me on fire. Help me spread this good news to everyone I meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are boiling hot, right? Again, and you can stay that way. You can stay that way by by living in this word, by living in worship, by creating these godly relationships that will hold you accountable, that will push you. Go spread the gospel everywhere you go. That alone will keep you on fire, right? I just bless you tonight. I thank you. If you said yes, I'm going to encourage you to come up and receive prayer. You want someone to anoint you, to agree with you, to encourage you. Amen? And if you need prayer for anything else as well, there's altar ministers ready and willing to pray with you. Thank you.